Dave. With everything going on in the world, uh, you know, we decided to just uh, take a couple days and, and get our, you know, selves together. I know at least I needed a couple days to, to get some extra rest and whatnot. So um, we appreciate everybody sort of being patient with us. Um, so our next week we'll be back on our, um, you know, weekly Wednesday schedule. But we're going to dive into just sort of football and conversations around football here momentarily. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we understand and we're, you know, cognizant of everything that's happening um, in our country and around the world. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that stuff and how it relates to, to, to football here on this show. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's a there's an aspect of, you know, just, just folks needing some outlet right now and some sort of entertainment. Um, there's no other sort of sports really going on right now or not just other pop culture stuff really. So, um, you know, again, we want to just sort of name that up front. You know, I want to acknowledge everything that's, that's happening and that, you know, folks may or may not feel like it's you know appropriate to have, you know, different kind of conversations. We acknowledge that. We honor that. We respect that. But, um, you know, I just think that, you know, we want to make sure that there's a, an outlet and a space for, you know, folks to continue to be entertained and have conversations um, because the world is heavy enough. So, you know, we need, we need some other content out there. So I wanted to norm that, uh, if you don't like it, we understand, but we hope you'll join us, um, and, and engage with us on relentless.love. Kelly, what's going on, brother? Hey man, uh, finally the middle of the week. I feel like this week is dragging, man. And then obviously 2020 has been dragging, but <laughs> 2020 has been awful period. But this week, uh, definitely has it's been dragging, so hopefully Thursday, Friday, and the rest of the week can be, you know, a little bit, a little bit smoother. That's the goal. We'll see. It's already, well, it's already Wednesday, though. Yeah, so already Wednesday, man. Hey, we trucking along here. Look at twenty twenty. Just, uh, <laughs> I wonder, you know, like thirty years from now, in the pantheon of years, like twenty twenty <laughs> will be hard, hard to beat as the worst. Um, it is. It is. And it's not done. It's not halfway. Not well, technically now we're kind of halfway because we're, we're in June now. But, dude, so much has happened these first six months, first five months. <laughs> no. and, so oh, much has happened. Did you hear about the uh, the hurricane or the tropical storm that's in the Gulf? See, I, I didn't even hear about that. So it's not been three named storms, and it's June 3rd. Um and I'm like, Lord Jesus, like the last day. Come on, man. Just for some Hurricane Vicky to back clean up in August or September. It just, it just capped this thing off. Like, this is, yeah, this, <laughs> it, it, this, this is crazy, man. Yeah, You got to keep pushing, man. <laughs> we we got to keep pushing through. Oh, man. Um, let's dive into football, man. Um, okay. There's been a lot of conversations around. Uh, we, we, had, we handled that just last week just around the lack of. Uh, like head coaches at both the college football FBS level and also in the NFL um, at present in uh, Division One football or what they call it now the football bowl subdivision. Um, there are three black head coaches or 14 rather, 14 black head coaches um, out of 130 schools, which is an abomination. Um, when it comes to NFL, there are 32 teams and three Black head coaches, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, Brian Flores in Miami, Anthony Lent in Los Angeles. Um, Brian Ron Rivera, you have four minorities out of 32 NFL teams, particularly in a league that has about 70% of minority players, which I believe specifically about 66% of that, um, of those players are black. 
we hinted at this a little bit last week, but, you know, as somebody who coaches football, um, you know, who played football in college, um, who's just been exposed to the game probably a whole lot more than most people, uh, I just want to get your insight, man, on just, one, how we, how we got to such a dismal level of representation. Um, and then two, so in your opinion, what's, what's the way out to, to improve this? And I know that's probably a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot, you know, in, in both of those questions, but just want to get your insight on that. Well, I think first, um, how we, how we got here is, I think that's the most simple question just because, I mean, America was built on slavery <laughs> and, I mean, people may not want to hear that and may not think that's the answer, but that's, I mean, that's the answer. And it's kind of a, it's still kind of a, a slave type model in the NFL anyway, or well, sports in general, oh, yeah. you know, old, old white man runs the team, you know, old white man runs the league. Hey, we're going to pay you what we think is fit and you're going to work. And if you hold out, you know, we still control your destiny. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of, you know, it, because of that mentality, it's, it's a slave type mentality anyway. So who are the slave masters? Oh, white men <laughs> or white men in general. So um, and this is not the bash white man. So don't think that. But just the format itself is, you know, what America was uh, built upon, built on. And you got to think how. Um, so you have let's just say. Even if we go NBA, um, NBA is when you think of the top players in the league, they're all black. <laughs> like you can go, you can go one. If you think of top twenty, you like you won't see. You probably see a foreign guy. You can say he's white, but you can you gonna have a foreign guy mixed up in the top twenty, like Nikola Jokic or somebody like that. Uh, you go to the uh, NFL, your top ten guys, your top ten guys in the league who are not minorities. Or quarterbacks all right quarterbacks get paid the most because obviously they have, they have the most burden um quarterbacks later become probably quarterback coaches or and eventually become offensive coordinators how many black quarterbacks are starting in the league we have more now but you got to think about before it was kind of a misrepresentation of minorities at the quarterback position as well so you have white quarterbacks who eventually become coordinators or not even, okay. And not if you play a down in the NFL, you have, you have people like, uh, let's say Sean McVay. <laughs> Sean McVay was a pretty, uh, pretty decent uh, high school player with the mayors up the street. Uh, he, because of, you know, who he knew, he got an internship in the league in the NFL. He eventually got on with the Washington Redskins now, Sean McVay is a, is a pretty good coach. I'm not saying that. But the fact that his way in was so much easier, now he gets to prove himself. Now he gets to step up the ladder. Now, okay, you see this guy went from, uh, I think, tight ends coach with the Washington Redskins to NFL head coach within three years. Who do you are? It was like this. Yeah. And – like I said, not bashing him because he's a pretty good coach, but just the way he moved up the ladder, it was just unheard of. And so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is, especially with the quarterback situation, if you see, especially Sean McVay kind of started the, okay, who's the next offensive guru? 
who's the next offensive genius who's going to be the next head coach, okay? Um, most head coaches are former coordinators, specifically offensive coordinators. And most offensive coordinators were former QB coaches, all right? So you got a QB coach, then become offensive coordinator, then you become the head coach, all right? Now, so missing, so you got a, a misrepresentation with uh, head coaches because you don't have that many black offensive coordinators because you don't have that many black QB coaches because you don't have many black quarterbacks that are given a chance. So it all goes down the line. And even like in high school, Hey, I can't find a, if I can't find, if I don't have a pro tip quarterback, I'm going to put my best athlete, a quarterback run around and he's going to make plays. Colleges see colleges like, like Bobby Petrino recruited one of the few schools that recruited Lamar Jackson as a uh, pure quarterback. All right. So a lot of colleges, they, they look at Lamar Jackson. Nah, you're a receiver, bro. So he doesn't, he doesn't even get that chance. All right. So you don't have that representation of your best player who can possibly turn into a pretty good quarterback, you know, but you never give him a chance. So we're, you know, we're, we're that age, 15, 16, 17. We're thinking, man, they're not going to let me play quarterback. So let me go to another position. Let me play corner or something like that. You know, offensive coordinators get more jobs than defensive coordinators. Yeah. You know, if you're a QB coach in general, you have any type of success, any type of success, <laughs> you're going to move up. Yep. It's, and the problem is there's not a, black, not a lot of black QB coaches. And it drives me crazy that, for one, I don't care if you can call a play. I don't care about S's and O's. If you can't lead men to want to fight for you, then you're not going to have a good team anyway. You're not going to have a good defense, offense, or whatever, whatever men you're leading. Yep. So the whole, you know, who's the next, you know, who's the next Sean Mavay? Who's the next offensive guru that can lead my young quarterback to stardom? That's, that's kind of – it's kind of misleading because like you said, if you can't lead man, then you're not going to win anyway. So that, that's kind of, that's kind of where I see it. Um, yep. it. It starts, it starts literally from youth. Like, okay. It starts like when you first start playing football and they're putting in your head that you can't play a certain position, which means you don't play that position. You don't eventually coach that position. If you didn't play quarterback or you didn't coach quarterbacks from, you know, early in your career, you're not just going to be a quarterback coach. Quarterback coaches are like the most vital to your team. So if you didn't play that position, you didn't coach that. If you weren't like an offensive coordinator and you moved up, then you became a quarterback coach in NFL, you're not going to be coaching quarterbacks. Yeah. And your likelihood of getting a head coaching job just went down the tank because you weren't a QB coach. So that's kind of how I feel. What now, about you? What you think? I mean, I feel you. I'm not going. I'm not going. You know, be redundant because I feel the same way. <clears throat> I think the, a, a pretty good case study um, in this sort of thing, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, who has no business not being a head coach in the National Football League right now. Period. Point blank. Um, he will be 51 on August 15th. And we'll go into his third year as offensive coordinator in Kansas City after having been running backs coach for five years before then. Um, and running, 
running backs coach don't go anywhere. They don't go, but 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 here's and you're right. But I find see, and this is this is what upsets me is that I'm not mad at Sean McVay. Get your money, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He went from assistant wide receivers coach Mm -hmm. to you know some time in the UFL, and then was tight ends coach to offensive coordinator to head coach. How? (laughs) And and like people like, hey, you know, Sean McVay's been to a Super Bowl. He's made two playoff appearances. I'm not going to say I don't care, but there are plenty of people in coaching ranks smarter than Sean McVay. Yes. And, and I think like it, to me, it bothers me because I think he got his head coaching job at the age of 31, which is fine. Do you think? I'm, I'm not one of those folks that's like, yeah. hey, wait your time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, football is unique in that it counts for having years of X's and O's experience. It just does. Mm-hmm. There are just certain things you're going to know at 45 that you're not going to know at 30 with time. Yep. That's, that's just the nature of a game with systems and things that are just so complex. And mm-hmm. so I have a hard time thinking, look, I, I like Sean McVay. They went to a Super Bowl. I think they're going to be average for quite some time because they can't manage a cap. Different conversation. But um, I just find it hard to believe that there aren't guys around the league, particularly black guys who are more qualified and just as smart and mm-hmm. know a whole lot about football. And that's part of the problem for me. It's just like, it's that thing of, oh, Sean McVay is such a whiz kid. It's like, he's white. Like, if he was black, would you call him a whiz kid? Well, if he were black, he probably wouldn't be head coach 31. Um, would <laughs> you know, and, and I would even understand that more had he been a quarterback's coach, to your point. Yes, yes. But what other tight ends coaches are making that sort of ascension that quick? None. I, just, I, 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 I think I looked this up. Um, I looked this up a couple of years ago, like during their, I, I think during their run uh, to the Super Bowl, I'm thinking like, this guy just went up fast, fast. And like, you don't go from, you don't go from wide receivers coach to offensive coordinator, really. You go no. from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator, you know, tight. It's like, when, when, you, when you're ranking coaching positions, all right, on, especially offensive side, aside from coordinator, like if you're ranking position coaches, tight ends and running backs coach is like way down the line. They're, they're like they're 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 one and two as far as the bottom, and that's not a knock on any one of those positions. It's just tight end is basically an extension of the offensive line as far as you know, schemes and all those things. If you have a pretty good pass catching tight end, like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, mm. now your job is just way easier. Right. Um, <laughs> as far as running, as far as running backs, I've been around, I've been around football since seventh grade. And literally every team I've been around has done the same running back drills. And I, that's not a knock on it's not a knock on running backs. It's just with that position, either you have it or you don't. Now, if you have a fumbling problem, I can teach you how to high and tight, <laughs> you know, not fumble the ball. You know, I can, you know, put you in a better mindset to block and teach you blocking techniques and things like that. But with running back, it's, dude, you got it or you don't. 
are you Barry Sanders or not? <laughs> I a lot of that. Are, are you Barry Sanders or you're not? You know, we're wide receiver. You literally got to learn coverages on the fly. You got to learn how to, you know, uh, cut off this foot, this leg, whatever, on different routes. So there's a lot of nuances to that. With quarterbacks, obviously there's a lot of nuances. Offensive line is probably the toughest position in football to coach because mm-hmm. of the cohesion. So this guy went from tight ends coach <laughs> to calling the offense to, hey, you did – you really didn't – I mean, he had Kirk Cousins, and Kirk Cousins threw for a lot of yards, but, nice. you know, it's, it's Kirk Cousins. It's money heist. And then – he went to the L.A. Rams and, hey, I'm a head coach. Had two solid years. They, they went for it all. So I don't, I, I don't even blame them for – well, I blame them, but their cap issues I don't have a problem with now just because they said, you know, we got a good team. Let's go all in. But it didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't work out, and they didn't get the pieces that they thought they were getting. Now they're going to be mediocre for about three years. It is what it is. But, yeah, man, it's just if he were black, if he were a black tight ends coach, he wouldn't have ascended to an offensive coordinator, then ascended to a head coach at 31 years old. I, I think Mike Tomlin was 37 or 33 or something like that. So that was kind of a shock. For one, it was a shock that Pittsburgh was the team to do Pittsburgh. it. Pittsburgh. But, <laughs> I mean, the, really? well, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. I, I, let me stop knocking on uh, the Roonies. <laughs> yeah, I um, but I, I give that ownership, you know, credit from a football standpoint and yeah. just how you, how you treat people in life. Um, they treat people well and they run things well and that's why they're always good. Exactly. Even though I hate them. Uh, exactly. I give them I hate steals with every fiber in my body. If they can go 0-16 the rest of my life. <laughs> Um, but that, but that, that family, that organization is, is top notch. Um, yeah. But to your point on Mike Thomas, so he got hired in Pittsburgh as head coach at 35. 35. 35. I knew, I knew it was somewhere because he was the, the Vikings DC. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of surprised because, you know, young black man, relatively young as far as coaching. He's 35. I can't imagine. I'm 30. I can't imagine five years me coaching the NFL team. So, I'm thinking in that perspective, like that's a young guy leading a group of men that some probably about 5% of them are older than him. (laughs) But yeah, uh, that wouldn't have happened. Um, That ascension that Mike, uh, that Sean McVay had wouldn't have happened if he were black. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, Tomlin is is a good example. And I, I, you know, you, you echo it. Everybody know knows football echoes it. Like it's, it's when you're in a coaching position, in any kind of coaching position, you know, you're coaching business people, you know, football, basketball players, whatever it is. It's about managing people. It's about yeah. people. can you motivate? Can you inspire? Can you get people to trust? And, and whenever folks believe, I put this even adults within an organization, and I've experienced this firsthand. Like people want to know, there's my leader. I know my leader has my back. I know there's not going to be chaos here. If it is, it's controlled because my yeah. leader is going to control it and it's going to make sure I'm well taken care of. That's yeah. the gist of leadership in, in any aspect of life. The problem is 90% of people in leadership positions have no business being there because they're incompetent and not good human beings. But yep. even in a football standpoint, like that's what it's about. I'll tell you like with Mike Tomlin, for example, you think he was DB coach in Tampa for about five years. 
um, and then was D.C. and Minnesota before he got the gig. But I even think about John Harbaugh, who's like a special teams coordinator. And, and the Russian, yeah. a smart enough, you know, organization to, to have some forward thinking in that regard. But Brian Flores in, in Miami, I mean, he spent his entire career before then with the Patriots and was never a coordinator before then. Um, you know, coach safeties, coach linebackers, special teams assistant, so on and so forth. I think he's got the juice. If you watch Miami play from like week one and week two, yes. week 15 through 17, I mean, that, that, that's a well-coached football team. Because um, the talent didn't change from week one to week 17. So, they, they just didn't have a lot of talent. So no. that's why they didn't win a lot of games. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, something went in there and, and went right, and I'm going to give Flores that credit. And even Anthony, Anthony Lynn in Los Angeles, he was a running backs coach in the NFL mm-hmm. for 10 years, for a decade, and then assistant head coach and running backs coach for another three years. I mean, so I, I, I think, I think if, if I had to put a bow on it, I would say we just need, we need more black quarterbacks. And, yes. And we need more black quarterbacks at the college level. Yes. And, and I think that's where – that is where a lot of the – uh, the vitriol, the criticism needs to go because, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I'm hoping something starts to happen within college football, within the NCAA that takes away. Um, I don't want to say a lot of the power from coaches. I don't think it's going to happen since the inception of college football. It's always been a coach specific game just because it has to be right. Your players are there mm-hmm. four or five years maximum. Like there's got to be an image of, of uh, there and that somebody builds up and is in charge and so on and so forth. But there's, there's not, an, there's no central point of, equitable accountability in college and so like it's interesting even this week i'm reading like all these different statements from these college coaches uh, most of them disingenuous it's, it's killing um, me you know it's, me. it's like you know i can't stand dabble sweeney yeah i said it if you're a clemson fan it's fine don't support it <laughs> don't support it but, um, he's just always been phony and fake to me and i'm not yes by anything he says he's like peak neoconservatism like you using using the Bible, not I don't want to say misquoting it, but just like it's part of a stick, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the best statement I've seen out of any head coach was Kirby Smart, and mm-hmm. it was and I, it's surprising. I was very surprised. SEC country, man. I was shocked. SEC, <laughs> Georgia, Athens, like, and I think, and I give them people like, oh, you shouldn't applaud people for doing what they should do. I'm gonna give Kirby credit because. If people know, and we know this being from the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's that's why it's so surprising. I mean, that's something he's going to have to carry the rest <laughs> of his career. Like, just trust mm-hmm. us. Like, when he's in homes recruiting, when he goes to these booster meetings, when he's trying to raise money, when he's interacting with Fenton, whoever it is, like, as long as he coaches football in the South, like, he's going to mm-hmm. have to – he's going to have to respond and defend or whatever to that. So, I think that was – and then his, his was just genuine. You could tell he just wrote it. He didn't have his PR people do it. He didn't run it by the AD or the university. You could tell Kirby was just like on his phone. He was on Twitter or whatever it was. And just like, all right, like I get it, you know, or I don't get it per se, but like, you know, something's got to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think it's a shocker that, you know, and I'm not going to say just because he he shows solidarity right now. That's why Jamie Newman chose University of Georgia. But I think that's at the cusp of it. It's just like, I'm not going to say we don't have more black quarterbacks because college football coaches are racist. Like, I'm, I'm not ready to draw that conclusion. Um, like, like a, a and B doesn't make sense. I think there is definitely bias there. But I'm not yeah. sure, like, I'm not sure what tangibly you do to get more black guys playing quarterback at the college level. You know what I mean? And 
and, and I think that's the that's the challenge. And I'm not sure why, because everybody runs this little spread offense now. So before, okay, so before everybody started running this, um, you know, you had not a good reason, but there was a reason to point to why they were like, well, this quarterback isn't going to succeed in the league. This black quarterback isn't going to succeed in the league. Everybody runs the same offense now. Yeah. It's just different motions and nuances and things like that. So, and you think about, um, I'm going back to Kirby Smart. Look, Kirby came in, you know, you know the whole, uh, everybody knows this about Georgia, you know, never going to play a black quarterback. And, you know, they, they passed on Sean Watson, passed on Cam Newton, DJ Shockley, you know, sat for four years behind David Green, finally got his shot. So you think Kirby, this is how I know Kirby is genuine when he came out with this statement. This man, year one, they go eight and five. You know, he just says, he, when he gets the job, he says, you know, I always thought Georgia was so entitled for no reason. So I'm like, okay, you're throwing shots already. And you got the job at Georgia. So, yeah. <laughs> he, so he went to Georgia and he's like, I'm, I'm at Alabama winning championships and Georgia fans are entitled thinking, you know, winning 19 games is special and winning the East. And they're like, nah. And he, he's right out the gun. He says, that. Oh, okay, Kirby. <laughs> and okay, now he's like, you know, a recruiting Georgia, y'all staying home. He goes out and beats Saban for three straight years and gets the number one recruiting class or number two or whatever. Yep. Now he's keeping those four or five star Georgia guys in home. He says, you know what? Um, uh, James Coley, you, you out, bro. We, we, you know, you, the offense is too vanilla. We obviously can't win with it. Let me bring my quarterback from Wake Forest, a spread guy. You know, he can run around. He can make plays. He's a black quarterback. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hire a new offensive coordinator, and we're going to air that thing out. All this is not Georgia football. No. So this is everything that Kirby has done since he's been at Georgia tells me that he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's trying to win football games. They should. So – that's why I knew, like, that, that statement came straight from the heart. <laughs> Just because he's, he's not a fake. He's exhibited. Exactly. He is, he's, he's, not, he's not a fake person. He says, you know, obviously you got to, when you're doing interviews and you probably got to hype up a little team a little bit more. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, you hear him talking to his team. He's telling, hey, I want you to eat. I want you to eat. You know, I want all y'all to eat. I want to win a national championship. He's fighting for his guys. And part of me wants to like Georgia just because of Kirby Smart, but I can't do it. But I like Kirby. <laughs> That's the sad thing. I don't That's like the sad thing. I, I, I hate when that happens. When a coach I like go to a school I don't care for. <laughs> it's just like not. And it's sad because, like, <clears throat> I'm not going to say that entire fan base doesn't deserve him. Because I, I know yeah. some wonderful folks who went to UGA, but, <laughs> you know, look, I, I can't stand Georgia. I talk bad about Georgia every chance I get. Georgia is going to win a national title this decade. Like, they are. They are. It's going to happen. Kirby's too good. The, the infrastructure and the investment is there, so on and so forth. And so whenever that happens, that'll be what I take solace in. <clears throat> yeah. However, there, there's like this part of me that's like, you know, I hope, that maybe they, you know, go 10-2 and two this year, don't win a national title, 
And then maybe Kirby's like, hey, I'm out. Let me go to Los Angeles and USC and win four national I hope so. There. I hope so. <laughs> like, let's all just start praying for that. Um, I hope that happens. <laughs> but no, and Kirby's in, just put a bow on this, man. Kirby's statement. Uh, number one, he put it on Twitter. And number two, uh, he wrote it on the notes app and didn't even make any that's, edits. That's, so you can that's tell. How you know it's, like no watermark, on, no from the university on, logo on it. Like my man nope. really just said, like this, this is this stuff is not right. Like, and I'll read it right quick. Um, Coach says, I firmly stand against racism of all kinds. I realize that I feel this differently, but I'm hurting for the young black men on my team. I'm hurting for the black men on our staff. I cannot imagine the agony, grief, and fear that our black communities feel today and every other day. I do not have the answers, but I am committed to moving with purpose and being part of the solutions. We have to make a change. We have to do better. I mean, yeah, I just, I just, I just applaud him, and I, and I think there is like, um, there, there's, a, there's a level of like, some of these things are disingenuous, and and you know, you shouldn't applaud folks for for being decent human beings and not being racist. But I do think there's context to, to all of these things, and yeah, yeah, you know, um, like for him to come out with a statement one that strong, two without any edits. Like my man didn't even bother like editing out what time it was or that his no. battery was charged. Like he's literally just a human being like at home. Like, yes. Yeah, you know? That's I'm probably like, his first time using the Notes app. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> and like that comes up, man. And, and for him to do that again as a, as a coach in the SEC, like, um, like that, that's, that's big time. So props to Kirby Smart. That was yeah, man. Um, I was kind of, I was kind of disappointed by Nick Saban's statement too. I'm not going to lie. I, I I didn't see Nick's because I, I I didn't I didn't expect he's not on Twitter obviously but I I didn't see his I, I expected him to make one. This is my thing with the college, <laughs> and we can wrap this up. After. This is my thing with all of this. Like like you said, we we expect people to be decent human beings, obviously. But what what got me was for one the Forty ers you know, tweeted something about it. They they did the Blackout Tuesday. I'm like, do you not know who your quarterback was just four or five years ago? <laughs> so, so that happened, and then NF literally NFL owner or NFL coach or NFL teams in general are saying Blackout Tuesday, and just not acknowledging what Kaepernick was telling y'all. I, I, I just it it does make sense, but it doesn't make sense. It does make sense in a sense that. They just feel like this is what they had to do. And that's how you know some of these are, uh, some of this is dis- disingenuous. At least Dabo is like, one, one thing, I'm, I'm not saying Dabo is racist, but the thing about racist, I'd rather you just be open about it. Just tell me how you really feel. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm not saying Dabo is racist. He's just, he's just very, um, I don't even know the word. <laughs> he's, really, he's really tone deaf. He's really tone deaf. You know, he's going to use the Bible. Granted, he's a, he is a man of faith, but, you know, I'm not going to tell if it's just like with, I'm not going to tell somebody who's depressed, who's feeling with anxiety, he'll go read this Bible first and just come back to me. I'm not going to tell somebody that. They need me to talk to them, like to have an understanding. So that's my thing. Like it, it was, and you can tell just who was disingenuous, man. It, it was crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's easy. It just rolls off the tongue. And I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, well, we can wrap it right there. I think it's the biggest thing. And like, look, I, you know, I, I acknowledge, I respect like Dabo as a, as a, as a man of faith. Cause I, I do believe 
that's genuine one and two is just never you know my place to try and make um you know any sort of judgment on you know whether mm-hmm. someone is legitimately a christian or not but i i do think that there comes a point to where i need to i need to know that you acknowledge that you can identify with and that you have empathy with my plight as yep. a black person mm-hmm. um, because then because because I, I can I can acknowledge that I think you know your book is written in the name of life and that you're a Christian without being in relationship with you. Yeah. Um, but for me to continue to be in relationship with you, for me to call you brother or sister, for us to fellowship together, so on and so forth, like <clears throat> you 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 you, I need to know that that you see that um, and that you identify with that and that you honor that and that you are committed to learning from that. And I just think you can see it in things like statements, like. You know, Kirby is obviously there, um, and and Dabo probably isn't, and you know it, it sucks, and it's just another reason to not root for Clemson. So <laughs> I don't know, yeah. saying no dogs, but um, <laughs> you know. no, we we're not gonna say that. <laughs> oh man, um, let's dive into the top ten running backs in the league, man. Um, okay. Hopefully, the wide receivers. If we don't get to them this week, we get to them next week. Um, but and we also got a lot of good stuff coming in the next few weeks because the good thing is what's getting lost in all this, understandably, uh, is that it's June now. So football is uh, three months Close. away, and uh, it's talking season. We're going to go ahead and officially start talking season next week. Um, but, well, I guess talking season refers to college football mostly, but y'all know what I mean. Um, talking season for both of them. Summertime means almost football time. Anyway, yep. top ten running backs in the league. This was a hard list to compile. Um, it, it was because the running back is just not exclusive anymore. It's not. It's not like it, it's not. It's not. So yeah, this was this was tough. <laughs> and I don't even know. I just I just go ahead and dive in because I had Austin Eckler at number ten, and no. and Eckler really should just be a wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that guy you move him around depending on where you want to place him on the field, but. Um, 4.2 yards to carry, which is decent. But he only carried the ball 132 times. Um, but he had 92 catches. 92. Like 92. That's, that's, that's impressive. That's yeah, impressive. That, maybe I shouldn't even have him on the list now I think about it. I don't know. Gonna... <laughs> uh, my, my, my number 10 was uh, – mine was Mark Ingram, man. Good old Mark. I like Mark. And I, I, I like Mark. And Mark, Mark went to the Ravens and had, like, his second best season of his career. And – only played 14 games because he had a calf strain. And he uh, he's just been really consistent. He's not been great. You know, he's just been really consistent. And like 1,100 yards, you know, 4.1 yards a carry, that's what you're going to get from him about every season. Now, this year may fall off um, just because you got J.K., Probably, yeah. And in the past few years, they've been drafting running backs. I think Mark Ingram was like a stopgap. I think Mark Ingram was mostly like a culture uh, signing. Yeah. And like, yes, you're going to get some production, but just he's a good teammate. You know, he's a he's a real good teammate. He hyped Lamar Jackson up the whole time. I think that, yeah, that, that whole, <laughs> that whole Ravens culture, this whole season, I'm like, I would want to play for that team. Oh, yeah. And it was it was partly uh, mostly and you know because of Mark Ingram, <laughs> he brought that New Orleans Saints set, uh, swag. Oh, yeah. I hate New Orleans too, but he brought that swagger to Baltimore, 
and hey, he just produced. So yeah, I have Mark Ingram at ten, and he he's not like the pass catching guy like McCaffrey and Kamara and some of these other guys. But man, in in New Orleans, he catch a screen, he can go. <laughs> so yeah, I got him at ten. No, I think that's a good call. I have him right outside eleven. Uh, he actually had another thousand yard season this past year, which was mm-hmm. the third of his career, and I think the third in the last four years. But he had ten touchdowns this year. Um, exactly. Five yards to carry. I mean, that offense in general was just explosive and couldn't be stopped. And I think like we're starting to happen too much. And you know, make sure you turn in weekly because we're gonna start having a lot of you know previews and whatnot, previewing the season. But you know, folks talking about oh, well, that offense is not gonna be able to keep up and what it did last year and all this other stuff and. The running game's not going nowhere. The running game isn't going anywhere. And, like, that stuff's on tape. Like, I mean, yeah. I I get it. It's it's I get the opinion and people's sort of initial notion of just like, oh, you're not going to be able to sort of repeat that output. And, like, no, maybe they won't repeat the historic offensive output that they had as historically one of the best and most dominant offenses in the game. But they're still yeah. going to have a top five offense. Uh, it's like top what Patrick Holmes did in 18. Exactly. No, he wasn't going to redo that. But he still had a darn good year last year and won the Super Bowl. He's, he, he's going to throw 35 every single year, at least. Yeah. Every year. Okay, give me 15 less touchdowns and we still win in 12 games. Cool. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just who he is. That's what his yeah. offense is going to be. And then they just add J.K. Dobbins to it. So, um, I'm with you, man. And I think even the, the adding Dobbins, you know, I don't know how long Mark will probably be in Baltimore. Um, but I think even these two years are going to help extend his career. You know, he's going to end up with some incredible longevity and really have a chance to, to play for some teams and get a ring. Cause, uh, I think I, I think what will happen is um, he'll definitely be back this year. Um, I think he's making like five a year. Uh, he'll be back this year. Uh, J.K. will benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he signed a three-year deal. He'll probably get released after, you know, this offseason. And I, and I think he knows that. Right. But – He's going to go to a team who just drafted a younger quarterback. He's going to be a backup, and he's not going to be. He's going to be the Frank Gore. Just <laughs> I think he might know, play that. He, he's going. He's going to be that vet because he doesn't have a lot of mileage. He's yeah. never been the only vet. Nope. So, yeah, it's we agree on that. Keep getting those little four, five million dollar year checks. You do that for fifteen years. Ooh. Come on, man. What? Hey, Frank. Frank Gore is paid. Oh yeah. Frank. I take that over Zeke deal any day. Oh, definitely. God bless America. Um, all right, moving <laughs> off my nine three six. At nine, I got Saquon Barkley, which mm, not. I think I might have him too high, to be honest. And most of that might be a little reputation. Um, uh, eight, I had Alvin Kamara. Seven, Josh Jacobs. I'm gonna hold on number six. I want to do a little bit around number six. But Saquon had four point six yards per carry last year. Um, he only caught fourteen passes. Which I'll be honest, I need to watch some more Giants tape from last year. I'm not sure if that was a, a result of Pat Shermer, which it probably is because it's Pat Shermer, um, mm-hmm. or if he's just not that good in the passing game. Um, I'm thinking back to just some amazing plays I saw him make at Penn State. But to, yeah. to speak on that, I need to see a little bit more from the offense. But my initial belief is, one, that offensive line was just really trash last year. And then, two, it, were, it, it was bad. So, so, <laughs> it was bad. Um, Eight, I had Alvin Kamara, and and Alvin, if you ever listen to this, I need you to get a new agent, and I need you to get an agent that's going to tell you to hold out. Yes. I need you to hold out this offseason because your team is not going to have a good year. They're going to go eight and eight. The championship yep. window is closed. 
Y'all just don't know it yet. And you need to hold out and get your money now while we understand that you are a key cog in this offensive system. And I'm worried that they're going to go 6-10, 7-9. He's not going to have as good as year, and he's not going to get paid. He had a bit of a drop off last year, 4.7 yards per carry. Um, but, yeah, 81 catches. Now, he's had 81 catches all three of his seasons, but his yards, his receiving yards each year continue to go down. Um, now, people are like, oh, Alvin's losing some of his team. No, he's not. They just keep giving he's my numbers three-yard slant routes. That, that's yes. why he catches 142 passes. Um, but Alvin is still the player he was. They just like inflating Michael Thomas's numbers, which if you give mm-hmm. a guy $100 million, sure, that makes you sleep better at night. Um, but Alvin still has the juice. Um, anyway, I'll stop. Oh, Josh Jacobs, 4.8 yards a carry. Uh, only 20 catches last year. But I like Josh Jacobs from a, both the sort of carry the load standpoint. He can play all three downs, which a lot of guys can't anymore. And he's a decent pass blocker, uh, which we know John Gruden hates his quarterback, but he can at least uh, rely on his, his running back in third down to, to give that guy a little bit more time. So I got Barkley, Kamara, Jacobs, nine through seven. All right. I got uh, my nine through seven. I have Leonard Fournette. I have Aaron Jones. I have Dalvin Cook. And the, the Dalvin Cook one hurt me. I, honestly, this this I wanted I wanted them to have him. I wanted to have him higher, but he's had one great year, uh, one pretty good year, and that was last year. So my um, coming out in the draft, I said Dalvin Cook is a better running back than Leonard Fournette, and people were like, "You're crazy." Yeah, Leonard Fournette was the better prospect. Blah blah blah, all of that. I know he played in the vaunted SEC. Cool, but. <laughs> and I, and I literally brought because when I, when I make an argument when when I feel like discussing you know football with with people on the internet I come with receipts you know I provide some context oh you got to so yeah you got to so I said Dalvin Cook is better say how uh, I say he played better competition he played in the ACC okay let's look at these uh, S and P rankings look at Florida State they played six top twenty five uh, ranked defenses. Uh, LSU played three. Oh, you played. Oh, oh, I have to. Dalvin Cook had uh, seventeen hundred yards rushing, more than uh, that was more than Leonard Fournette. Dalvin Cook is the leading rusher in FSU. He's the best running back in FSU history. I love Ward Dunn, but this Dalvin Cook. You know, you can see Dalvin Cook. First, it was Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston left. The show still ran. Dalvin yeah. Cook left. Florida State winning the tank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dalvin Cook ran that offense. He was the best run, and he's most versatile. He's a better pass catcher. You know, he's faster and all of those things. Anyway, he had the injuries. Uh, that's kind of slowed his career. Last year, injury-free, you saw what he can do. All right? So he had um, – I thought he was a little better than Aaron Jones. They both have the same skill set, which is crazy. Both have the same skill set. They're both in the same division. Uh, I argue with a Packers fan, too, about yeah. <laughs> these two. I don't know. Yeah, Packers fan drive me crazy, too. One game. But, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and Leonard, but Leonard Fournette, um, I didn't think he had a solid rookie season, you know, 3.9 uh, yards per carry. Uh, just over a thousand yards rushing. Um, when he, he doesn't he doesn't get involved in the passing game enough, but I think he can. 
Last year he did, but I think those were results of, you know, the 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 Jazz were just trash. They were jump. They were. <laughs> he had Garner Minshew. Um, yeah, you had Garner Minshew at quarterback. You didn't have any explosive weapons, but he caught seventy six catches. Seventy kids. You, you get seventy six receptions. I do. You can catch the. You can catch the ball. I was shocked with <laughs> all that. Yeah, I, I didn't. So, that didn't that didn't capture with me during the year. Seventy six receptions, uh, five hundred yards, six point nine average. You know. Uh, that's not obviously running back. So your outlet on like third downs and things like that. Hey, if I get seven yards on third down, I'm hoping we got three yards on first and second. That's so big time. yeah, man. Yeah, that, that's big time. Um, he only had three touchdowns rushing, but he had 1,100 yards. He had his best season, 4.3 yards per carry in the offense where they know that Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette is their only guy. So. He shot me coming uh, off of that horrible sophomore season. He only had 439 yards. But, yeah, I think he has the skill set. If he has a solid offensive line and literally just solid, you see what he can do. I think they need to trade him because they've traded everybody else. Let the man go get paid and, yes. you know, be on a good team. And he can be a good asset. That's my thing, man. I, I, I had him right off my list. Um, he was actually at 13. Only because mm-hmm. I, I, I am holding that sophomore slump against them, one. But, two, I just – I want to see him, like, go somewhere else. I want to see somewhere where he can blossom. I think the narrative around him is incorrect for all the reasons you just mentioned. And so, you know, you get a lot of people who don't watch football. and like, oh, Fournette is not living up to his tag and all this other stuff. And that's just not true. Um, not- one, they didn't use him very well in 2018. Two, he missed half the season. Three, he just didn't jive with Tom Coughlin. And if we're going to knock every single guy who didn't jive with Tom Coughlin, we're going to have a long list of players. So uh, I wouldn't knock him there. I'm just happy. I'm, I'm going to be happy to see him go somewhere else next year. And he's going to turn – he's entering his age 25 season. So still a whole lot of, of, of mileage left on him. And, you know, to, to Jacksonville's credit, I don't know if they're doing this intentionally. They, they don't use him a lot. I was just about to say, they got TJ Yeldon. And so, like – he 268 carries his first year, 133 his second year, 265 last year. He's got a lot of mileage still left on. Um, that's not, yeah, that's not a lot of carries, man. And and that's gonna do him well whenever they trade him because they're going to. Uh, so yeah, I like Fournette, man. I can't wait for him to get out of Jacksonville. Though. Jacksonville is just mm-hmm. purgatory for, for NFL players. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Jacksonville, Cleveland. You just got Cincinnati, purgatory um, NFL cities. Um. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Aaron Jones. I had Aaron Jones six. I like Aaron Jones, which I like. when you dive into Aaron Jones, it makes their pick of A.J. Dillon that much more puzzling. Like, that's the puzzling pick. Jordan Love is not the puzzling pick. <laughs> we talked about this. I can go back and look at that. Talk about, you know, why the Packers aren't as good as they think they are. Yeah, they went 13-3. They're the worst 13-3 team in the past decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find it on your feet. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. But um, A.J. Dillon was a bad pick because you have Aaron Jones – you also have Jamal Williams, who's not on my top ten list, but we can talk about that later. But, like, Aaron Jones, 4.6 yards per carry. He had 16 touchdowns last year. Which, 16. 16 touchdowns. Which, look, you can you, – you can, I think you can scheme your way into 10 – between 8, 10. I give you max 12 touchdowns as a running back. Cool. 16, bro. 16, 16 touchdowns. 16. You can't scheme that. Like, yeah. I'm doing something there. Um, Especially because, you know, they got Devontae Adams on the outside. 
you know, Adams is a big receiver. He's got a big catch radius. He's not, you know, Calvin Johnson or Julio Jones on the fade, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not cheating that much to Devontae Adams in the red zone. And so uh-huh. um, for him to have that many touchdowns, I think he's extraordinary. And then he had 49 catches out of the backfield for 474 yards. And he's a pretty decent pass blocker. Yep. Yep. He, he's, he's pretty good, man. Underrated <laughs> back in the league. I had him at six. Okay. Probably should have had him higher. Um, we'll run through my top five here. Uh, five, I got Zeke. Yeah. Uh, I had Dalvin Cook at four. So definitely not as high as you. Um, and then my third was Nick Chubb. Two, I think I did a lot of. Um, I already know what you're about to say. I got a lot of points from the postseason, but Derrick Henry was Derrick Henry. I knew he's going to say uh, Derrick Henry. You know, that's got to count. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at that, man. Derrick I'm not mad at that. Derrick Henry's game, literally. Uh, like, go watch, go watch Earl Thomas. Um, <laughs> number one, anybody other than C-Matt, Christian McCaffrey, as the best running back in the league, you know, we, we don't need to talk. Um, you can't – yeah, if, if, if a couple years ago, I was like – a couple years ago, it was like C-Matt – Ezekiel Elliott or Alvin Kamara. Yeah, it was like, close. Okay. It, was it, it, was, it was close. This guy is like a top five receiver in the league okay. and the best run. Like, it's ridiculous. And I don't care what you say. This makes this argument better for the people like, well, the Carolina Panthers are trash. They only have C-Mac. That makes this argument better. Exactly. They know that's the only player and they can't stop them. Exactly. And I run through mine because I, I have him at number one, too. I have Nip Chubb at five. Um, I think he's just going to be, like, just continue to be 1,200, 1,300 yards a year, every year of his career. Like, he's just he's just that good, man. And it's just something about those Georgia running backs. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're solid. Just if Ty Gurley didn't have that bum knee, you know, he'll be on this list. Yeah, running back you. Uh, Nick Chubb was five. I, I have Saquon at four. And it kind of it kind of hurt me. Not hurt me, but, like, I didn't want to put him that high. T- talent-wise, of course, you know, he's probably the most talented running back in the league. But I don't put a lot of – I don't put more stock on talent than I do production. But I had to think about that terrible offensive line. <laughs> terrible offensive line, bad quarterback play, no weapons, and – he produces so mine is kind of a projection type thing yes i know all what he can do uh, athletically but give that man a solid offensive line give him uh give the defense another a weapon to 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 guard outside of him and i think his numbers will go way up he's going to always be like at least 1200 yards rushing he should be in the you know 50 60 70 catch you know range He's probably going to do a thousand, a thousand one year, but I had him at four. The people say he's the best running back in the league, talent-wise, probably. But you, you can't put him that high. Yeah, you can't put him that high. I have, I have Derrick Henry three. I have Zeke Elliott two, and Zeke, man, Zeke is a, Zeke is talented too. And East. just watch, watch his rookie year with Dak Prescott. Like, he just exploded on the scene. And you saw his last year at Ohio State. You thought, okay, he'll be a solid running back. But solid running backs don't get drafted number four overall. <laughs> you got drafted number four overall, and you just exploded on the scene. Uh, he got his money. He, this is the thing. 
he got his money and people say he had a down year. He really didn't have a bad year. Yeah, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. That's what I'm saying. 1,300 yards is a bad year for him. Thirteen hundred yards is a bad year for him. The the year his sophomore year, when he missed games, he still he missed six games and still almost um, rushed for a thousand yards. He had nine eighty three. Still had seven touchdowns. His first year in the league, he had fifteen touchdowns. Last year, he had twelve touchdowns. So he's getting you in the end zone. He's getting you points. Twelve touchdowns rushing. So yeah, I had I had Zeke in the league, and and it's an offense where. Um, you know, they, the play calling was very inconsistent. Like, it, it, it was all over the place. Uh, and, like, you got to think, if you give that man the ball a couple – not a couple. You should just feed him first. But you feed him like you should, this man is going to – he's going to get close to 2,000 yards rushing every single year. But, hey, I'm not the play caller. And, obviously, C-Mac is number one. It should be number one on everybody's list. I don't care. The only, only reason why you don't have him on uh, number one on your list is because he's white. <laughs> That's the only reason. If you say, well, I can't put a white guy at number one because he's a white running back, right. that is the only reason. He is the best running back in the league. <laughs> oh, without question. Best, it's not even close. It's close, but it's not, you know, he's the best running back in the league, and he just does too much. He does so much for his team, man. He does it all. He never has to come off the field. Never. He doesn't come off the field. No. He's not. He's he's not tapping the sideline like Ezekiel Elliott on second and ten. Uh, you have to beat the Philadelphia Eagles to get in the postseason. He he's not. He, Tony Pollard is coming into the game for Ezekiel Elliott. He's not doing that. I don't even know who their backup running back is. <laughs> I don't know. Dang. But you never see him. I would love to have that job though. <laughs> That's real. I mean. I like Zeke. I don't. I don't think Zeke is ever in. Zeke is never in C Max shape. And look, maybe it's hard to be in C Max shape. Not maybe. It's hard to be in C Max shape. It's but hard. I think. I think the problem is like Zeke has this. He's not gonna. He, I don't think he's ever gonna be the receiver that C Mac is. But he ha, he has the talent ability to have. I think double the amount of targets that he he's had in the in the passing game. Now look, last year he had fifty four catches. So, mm-hmm. you know. Before that, shoot, he had 77. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, like, no, I said for a guy like Zeke, like Zeke should have 70 catches every year. Like, where the, where the league is now. Um, he should. Period. Now, I think people would argue to your, to your, to your point, the play calling in Dallas was the play calling. Um, I, I, I think with Mike McCarthy coming in there, like, look, Zeke should have carried the ball 350 times. And I'm not going to have any reservations about him carrying the ball that much because we just paid him. So you just paid him. It's not like, it's not a, it's not a thing where you're reserving him for anything. You just paid the guy, get him in the ball. So let me, um, <clears throat> anyway, it's a lot going on in Dallas. I like Dallas. That's even no business going. And we don't have to go to that. Right now. Um, yeah. I had Derrick Henry at two. It pained me because, because Derrick Henry, <laughs> Just just ran rough shed over Baltimore um, in the playoff game last year. But Henry had 1,500 yards last year, rushing 16 rushing touchdowns. That's 100 yards a game. We only played in 15 games. Um, yep. 
He's not. He's not gonna really be a threat in the passing game. It doesn't really matter. Doesn't. You got somebody. Doesn't matter. Um, and it's even better. I had him two. It was hard for me to put him above Nick Chubb or Zeke, but I put him at two because I think you have to directly credit the season that AJ Brown had with Derrick Henry. And not only the, tit- the Titans in general, their entire season, their whole run, you credit it to him. And when's the last time you said that about a running back? Never. You know? Because even with Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys run in 2018, you say Dak or Zeke. You know, you, you, you can make the argument that, okay, who, who was more important? You can make that argument. Derrick Henry, he led the Titans to two postseason victories. Without question. Come on, man. Without question. Um, so, yeah. And I think he still got a lot of tread. Like, I don't think people are like, oh, he carried the ball out last year. He carried the ball 300 times. But before that, 215, 176, 110 in his three previous years, he's, he's not going to have, like, this, you know, steep decline, I don't think. Now, I don't, I don't think from an offensive standpoint they can keep this up because I don't think Ryan Tannehill is that good. So, yeah. I think you might see a, a decrease in production – for Derrick Henry, because if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm a, uh, you know, make sure AJ Brown doesn't beat me deep. I'm going to stack the box, and I'm not believing in Ryan Tannehill. I've seen a whole lot more tape on him. You're going to have to beat me with somebody other than AJ Brown. So I don't think I'll have that season again. But I still think, from a best running backs in the league perspective, Derrick Henry is, is pretty firmly at number two. And then we can put the wrap on C-Mac. What C-Mac had 100, 100 catches last year? Something crazy. Yes. One sixteen. Another wild. That is wild. I don't care where you catch. I don't care if you threw a swing pass. I don't think. I don't care if all of those were swing passes. He caught 116. That matter. That's that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Like, yeah. I mean, he had Michael Thomas numbers. So uh, exactly. <laughs> good old Michael Thomas. My guy. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll rag on Michael Thomas a little bit next week, man. Uh, okay. Uh, wrap up session here, man. We just want to talk about your boy Drew Brees. Um, I was a little, uh, a little, a little disconcerted. Um, I'm not gonna say I was surprised because Brees has always had sort of this sprinkle of, of uh, what's the, of Trumpness in him, um, and you know, and I, and when, I don't take it away from how I view him as a football player. Yeah. We had our top ten quarterbacks right now um, last week. Both had Drew Brees in the top five. Can't take that away from him. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, it it baffles me how he can go on an interview and in lieu of everything that's going on, still believe that taking a knee during the national anthem is disrespect to the flag. And I think his reasoning, some of the lines of like my grandfather, Service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's a 20-year Marine. If anybody, if anybody who's not a direct veteran can can say anything about that, it's spouses and children of people who have served. Because, and this isn't, we don't talk about this a lot, but you know, we're the people that end up having to deal with the PTSD and yeah, yeah. Have, have, help them get back into the workforce and you know, helping them through debilitating back and knee injuries because the VA is just trapped. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, I don't want to hear that from anybody. Because I've seen that. I've yeah, had yeah. to deal with the outset of that. And and if I were in that position, I would still take a knee. So I don't want to hear that. Um I just I don't I don't I don't understand. Maybe I should just stop saying I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe you can get some insight. I mean, I wanna just say 
Because I don't want to say Drew Brees is racist, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to believe that. Yeah, I think – I think because we are decent human beings, we don't call we don't want to call people <laughs> we don't want to call other people indecent human beings. Well, because we know and, what it means to be racist. Like that's that's like you're literally like telling <laughs> you're saying that even even when Kaepernick was doing this and he like verbally countless times said, I'm not disrespecting our military. This man said it out his – if you say something out your mouth, like all you have is your word. <laughs> I'm telling you why I'm doing this, and I'm telling you why I'm not doing this, but you're still deciding to view it however you want to view it. So this guy said this four years ago, and you had some other players stand with him, and now you, we, this, this, uh, the last few weeks we've seen – uh, why he was kneeling, and you have other people say, "Well, this is why Cap was kneeling," and you have some other people, and you know, some white people and players and people like that say, "Okay, now I understand. Yes, he wasn't disrespecting the flag. I know why he was doing it, even though he said it four years ago. <laughs> now you get it. At <laughs> least, at least now you get it. At least now you get it because, and I, and I, I think it has to deal with." I asked you this. Uh, I asked you and a, and a few other people, why now? Why are white people saying, why are white people like offering their condolences and, you know, reaching out to their black friends and saying, you know, okay, what's going on? I know what's going on. Forgive me. Things like that. Why now when even four years he did it and then throughout the four years things were still happening? Why now? I think the pandemic, you know, people being something is taken away from them and the outside world is not as, as, as prevalent to them. So they don't, they're not busy. So they can consume all of this stuff and they can really think about it. You know, plus there are also people who are like, uh, well, something was taken away from me. Like I can't freely do what I want to do. So now, well, dang. This must how this must be how black people feel. Mm-hmm. So, and, and to to all of that to, to to see all of that, and then you say, "Well, I would never kneel because that's disrespect to the flag." For you to still say that in New Orleans, and that's what <laughs> in New in New Orleans, Michael Thomas retweeted him with the the throw up emoji, <laughs> like did a quotes retweet and commented with the throw up emoji. So. And that's when I texted you and I said, yeah, they're going eight and eight this year. <laughs> and when I saw that, I said, yeah, they're going eight and eight. But for him to see all this, see, it's, uh, you know, people reach out and just all these teams showing their support. And the teams didn't even say anything about Kaepernick. They didn't even have to. But for you to still say, I would never take a knee because it's disrespecting the flag. It's just, I, I yeah, you, you, we say we don't understand, but we do understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, if 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 it if it, if it talk like a duck and quack like a duck, you got to call it a duck. And you got to call it a duck. No matter how much how uncomfortable it might be, I think the biggest thing and we can probably close on this is just even even like his statement about like oh taking a knee, disrespecting the flag. It's just do people not understand? 
the context. At first, Cap was sitting down during the national anthem. He was and sitting then, down. I think I forget his name. It was a former veteran who played in the NFL. It was a Nick Nate Boy. Nate Boy. Nate Boy. He like he he had he had said you know hey he was he was cordial about it. He was like he was. That's you know that's uh I'm not I can't I'm not gonna quote him but he he was cordial about reaching out to Cap and like hey you know a lot of people have died for that right or whatnot. They actually they talked like human beings, <laughs> um, and and Cap started kneeling after talking to him instead of sitting down, and it's just like I think like that's the cusp of this is just. It, and it, I think it's a microcosm of what like black people continuously have to do is the kneeling was a middle ground to a P you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, it was cap showing compassion and empathy and understanding that like, I get it. Like this is, this is something, this is a symbol that means a lot to, to people, to people like you who have served, who have, you know, carried back the bodies of their friends to base camps or whatever else. Like I get that instead of sitting down, I'm going to kneel. And I just wish, and this is showing Breeze's comments are showing me that like, we're still not at a point to where we get that empathy and that compassion and that understanding. Either. And particularly with him being in, in one of the blackest, if not blackest cities in America, yes. it drives me crazy. And I, I should normalize this for people. Aren't like I used to live in New Orleans. Um, and and so, you know, knowing what I know about the city, the people I know, the city, the culture, that whole Gulf region in general is like, is it's it's uh, like Gulf culture is Creole, it's French Creole, yeah. it's Black people, period. Um, and for you to play in a place like that, have built your career on a place like that, have been supported by a place and people like that for nearly your entire career, and then come out and say that. You know, I think I think that's that's a huge slap in the face that I, I I would think he's at least, you know, more more competent, less tone deaf than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, that, that that that's literally the definition of tone deaf. Like now, you don't have to. Not saying that you have to kneel, but to make that statement and to th- still think that these guys kneeling is directly disrespecting the flag you know, that's being tone deaf because <laughs> you're not thinking about why they're doing it, even though they're telling you why they're doing it. He's Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> Can't wait to see him go seven and nine this year. It's going to be great. Uh, Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, appreciate you, man. We'll dive in the top uh, 10 wide receivers in the game next week. Can't but, wait. Can't so, wait. <laughs> talking season, man. I'm hyped. Uh, appreciate y'all joining us this week. All 22. Take care.